0: Welcome to Tonebenders. I will be your host today. I am Tim Muirhead and with me as usual is Rene Coronado. Rene, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. I am very excited because we're talking about a film that I really fell in love with. We're talking about the excellent new film, Nine Days. It's kind of a really difficult film to explain, so my best advice to you is go out and see it immediately because we are gonna do a little bit of spoiling here. So uh, make sure you see it before you listen to this, but make sure you see it is the most important part because it's a really uh, touching film that I hope gets a lot of eyeballs on it. And with us to talk about it today is Max Smith, nine days supervising sound editor. You know his past work on things like Tron Legacy, Rango, Avengers Endgame, and many, many more. Welcome to the show, Mac. We're glad to have you.
1: Oh, thanks so much for having me, Tim. I, I love your show and I'm happy to be a part of it now.
0: Oh, well. Luckily the people can't see me blushing after that. Uh, also with us is Brandon Proctor. Brandon was the re-recording mixer on Nine Days. His past work includes work as a dialogue editor, mixing and supervising sound editor on films like A Quiet Place 1 and 2 and Black Panther. I'm actually going to see A Quiet Place 2 tonight, so we can't talk about that, okay? I haven't seen it yet. <laughs> but A uh, Quiet Place 1, I loved, so uh, I'm very much looking forward to the sequel. Welcome to the show, Brandon. I've never met you before, it's great to meet you.
2: Hey, super happy to be here. I'm, I'm excited, this is great.
0: Cool. So together, you guys have worked a lot. Uh, You're kind of a power team now, working on films like Io, Haunt, Columbus, and Little Evil. How did you guys uh, step up to the plate and get involved with this picture?
1: The main producer of Nine Days is Jason Berman, and Brandon and I have a long relationship with Jason. He's from Mandalay, and Brandon started working with him probably over 10 years ago, is my guest on some smaller films, and then at some point on the third or fourth film that he was sending to you, that the scale started increasing. They started getting bigger. And so I jumped on board to help Brandon and, and sort of take over as um, supervising sound editor and sound designer, not stepping on Brandon's toes because he had this relationship with Jason and and these various filmmakers. Um, so we've worked on a bunch of movies and and Jason Berman produced this one as well.
2: Yeah. So that first film that I worked with Jason was uh, Sheldon Candace*. L-U-V or love. And that was 2012. And it went to Sundance. Um, it's with the uh, Common. Isn't that movie? It, it just became a thing where I'm like, I needed to have like, basically we kind of started off as co-supervisors and now we just kind of went to like, Mac, you just do it better. Like <laughs> just supervise it all. I'm here for whatever you need. And, and we kind of like, we're in conversation the entire time. Like, so we're kind of working out together, but Mac just, his organization and the way he handles a team and stuff is so great. And uh, so uh, it it basically turned into like Mac just started supervising the films for, for Jason and then I would mix them and come in and, but, you know, always available for conversations from the get go um, with the filmmakers.
1: And this one in particular, we, we knew was a different kind of film from reading the script. And so, yeah, Brandon and I talked pretty early on about, okay, You know, how do we approach this whole before life thing? What does that sound like? The whole concept of the TVs, which is in the script, but it wasn't until I saw some of the footage that I was like, oh, yeah, the TVs are going to be really a much bigger thing than I anticipated. We started talking about, and what are some of the maybe rules that we set up to to do this film to to make it work? Edson and Jason ended up getting the, the Dolby Grant from Sundance, to do this in Atmos. And the, the movie sort of already called for that, but now it was like, okay, we're definitely doing this in Atmos. How do we approach this with that in mind to really make Atmos shine in a different way than you've heard previously? Yeah, the concept
3: of the film, it's very contained actually, right? There's a location or two and that's kind of it. And then you're, you're building this big soundscape around it. So you got the script way before you saw a cut. Is that
1: correct? Yeah, that's. it was actually before they started shooting.
3: So what's your process when you get a script
1: in? I read it from front to back, bend the corner down or make little pencil marks of like, this is something I need to come back to, to, to think about. Here's a a potential sound opportunity. Sometimes it's something that I talk to the filmmaker of like, you know, Hey, I don't know what you have in mind here, but it'd be cool if you really keep sound in mind in this moment and, and sort of try to keep those openings for us. I didn't have that opportunity really on this one because everything was moving so fast So I read the script and then they were pretty much shooting right away. There was no way to get Edson on the phone for a call. But, you know, I I kind of knew that they were going to do their thing in Utah. They shot, you know, the whole film there. Just look forward to to seeing how they pulled it off.
2: Sometimes it's just asking, like, make sure you get enough coverage. If you want to, like, sell this moment, you know, maybe shoot the scene, you know, a little more extensively. Make sure you can somebody throws a rock and you need to hear it go off in the bushes or something for some reason, not in this film, but just a a film, you know, make sure you shoot it going into the bushes or something, you know, not just the guy throwing the rock, you know, that kind of stuff, you know, because sometimes they don't get the coverage and you're like, Oh, can you make it sound a certain way? like, we can, but it's, I need the visual to kind of help sell it. You know, it's
1: not just an audio thing at that point. And if you have people talking from front to back, like (laughs) there's, there's no space to put in those, those, things that that sound can help evoke,
2: you know, they're setting up the scene, like there's music and there's something like, Oh, show us the turntable, show us the radio, show us something that we can kind of help sell, you know, the sound of it. If you want to evoke that feeling, it's not just like, where's that music coming from? We can kind of maybe dire- make it a directionality thing at that point. Maybe it's, if it's a lockdown shot, we can actually sell it better if they actually show it, you know?
1: Yeah. So when I started seeing some of the footage, I was like, okay, this is like all taking place inside this one house that's in the middle of a desert and it's not reality. <laughs> and like, what do we do? You know what is, what does that sound like? Cause you know, oftentimes when you're, you're dealing with, you know, a lot of interiors of, of a house, it's like, well, what are all the sounds that are happening outside? Are there cars driving by? Are there people? None of that was available in this movie because this, this house is in the middle of nowhere and it's, it's not, it's on a different plane of existence. It's before life, and then thinking, like, what does Will's house sound like outside of the whole TV concept? Like, what, what do we make that house sound like? And, and really thinking about his character, that, that he's, he's this character that has the, the weight of the universe kind of on his shoulders. And, and you can tell that he's somewhat depressed and, and feels he has all this responsibility. So we talked about, like, let's make the house sound heavy. You know, let's let's not just have room tones, but let's have all these sort of heavy drones and elements in there. We'll keep them subtle. But that kind of like sets up how Will feels a little bit oppressed. And then Brandon came up with the idea of like, well, let's in the house, like have all those ambiences just on the screen. Let's not put any in the surrounds. Let's have it all stick to the screen. So then when we get to these moments later in the film, the moments where the characters go into a different part of the house that you didn't see before, into this big space and have these moments, then we can really open up the sound field and utilize Atmos in a really spectacular way that hasn't been heard for the first, you know, 45 minutes of the film. So suddenly there's like this definite contrast that suddenly like everything opens up.
2: Well, the TVs already had that kind of, you know, the TVs in the movie, they already have this kind of dimensionality of just placement, you know, but but then when we actually go into any of these environments or even the you know DIY versions of these environments that's where life you know kind of comes alive and we can you know just use the entire room to kind of get us into it
3: yeah the version i watched was was a screener and i watched it on my stereo rig at the house so i cannot wait to actually experience the thing in atmos properly and the other thing that really struck me was that it's it's all like from a production design, very analog. You know, you got you got the cathode ray you know televisions, and you've got him like you know, physically like writing on a notepad, and and you know analog tape decks, and all of that. Um, I'm sure that aesthetic was also discussed as as you guys came in.
1: Definitely, um, Edson was very particular about the VCRs, how they had to sound really correct. This is the director. Um, you know, he grew up in Brazil. I think he's probably about. 10 or 15 years younger than than we are but but I definitely as a sort of kid born in the mid 70s and growing up in the 80s had lots of VCRs and was always recording so those sounds are definitely like imprinted in my brain so mm-hmm. I was going through all the VCR sounds in our library and picking out bits and and playing them for Edson and making sure they were right one of the interesting things though is is um I went to New York for a spotting session this would have been November of 2019 to meet with Edson and Michael Taylor, one of the picture editors, they were working at Goldcrest in New York. So I I showed up, we ended up just talking like for the first hour, not even watching any bits of the film. You know, I had seen it prior and had notes, but we were just talking about philosophy and life and what does life mean and all these things. And those conversations end up being just really informative when it comes to approaching a film like this. Because we didn't have a lot of time, it was not a luxurious schedule. We had a we had a small crew, and the whole you know TV wall was super daunting for me to figure. Out, like you know, how do we do that? But as the more and more conversations we had, Edson was really open to like, I want the TVs to represent life and the beauty of life, and so. But we have to have different emotions on the TVs, and he wasn't exactly certain of how he wanted to accomplish that. But I just, you know, started exploring like, well, you know, obviously we can put sound effects of people doing everyday life things on the TVs, but voices, you know, voices are important. And he said, absolutely. And, and the TVs are supposed to represent, they don't really explain this in the film, but they represent lives that are all within the same sort of slice of earth. So it's. It's lives in North America, Central America, and South America, because they all sort of wake up and go to bed around the same time. Hmm. So so we needed to incorporate voices on the TVs that were not just English, but also Spanish and Brazilian Portuguese. We set up a, a loop group session to happen at Goldcrest, you know, a couple months later, where they we ended up having two days where we had one day that was kids and and people who spoke. Uh, Spanish and Brazilian Portuguese, and then the next day was was all English speakers. And normally for Loop Group, you know, you're you're watching what's happening on the screen, and you're have you're telling those actors like, okay, do the voices of those people, you know, in the back of the restaurant that are talking there, or or you know this specific line on the PA at a bus station. But this was almost like like sound effects recording, where it was just like gathering all of these characteristics and emotions from people just so we had this giant library in the end of different snippets of people people yelling at their kids you know kids going you know mom you know where's where's my such and such I need my backpack for school to you know people in love and people walking through the park and and talking about life and things like that and so it was amazing to have this giant library to then utilize, to put snippets in on the TVs and sort of make it all come to life?
2: Yeah, it's it's how do you make these TVs not feel like you're watching a TV show? You know, each one of them is a different life. And so it was a challenge to kind of have that like, okay, these are real lives. And how do we make them feel not like a bunch of TV shows? You know, does, does it sound like a laugh track? You know, you, there's laughter in there, of course, but you got to have all these there's, maybe they're listening to music. Maybe they're listening, you know, whatever they're doing. They're riding a bike. You know, there's all these different elements. I mean, at one point we talked about doing lots of different types of futzes and they'd all have a different type of futz and that almost made it feel more TV again. You know, it was actually better if they were just kind of like a more unified futz in a way and not, not too, not to kind of get in the way. The futz almost gets in the way, you know, of telling that story.
3: The other thing that you had to deal with as a mixer was directing focus, because sometimes you'd see, you know, 15 TVs up and we needed to direct the eye to the one specific thing that we need to um, to pay attention to. Totally. So how did you approach that?
2: Kind of like music in a way, like what instruments soloing, you know, it's it's you kind of have to, you know, the the TVs almost become an ensemble, you know, and they're all kind of doing their thing. And then at some point need to pull out the lead, you know, the whatever needs to be the solo part of it, because the TVs are kind of a character. In itself, and then each TV is also a character. And then some of them are actually characters that are really in the movie. So it's kind of complicated philosophically, just kind of we are talking about it. But it's again, it's it's kind of like a choir of TVs, you know, and then someone's gonna have their solo, and then you kind of listen to that that one TV, and then maybe the camera movement helps you get into it as well. Um, because there are real things happening on the TV that we need to pay attention to that are helping to tell the story of the film with that, it's complicated. I mean, the technical side of it's complicated in a way creatively, you know, we needed to make sure we really were helping tell that story.
1: I'm interested in the technical side too. Like how did you organize yourself? That was a big discussion too, um, because we knew that each TV had to, um, potentially have, uh, dialogue, sound effects and music in the picture side. In the Avid, they had, not done a lot of sound work on the TVs other than the hero TVs, Amanda, Louisa, uh, Fernando. I mean, those were the ones that were sort of like very specific story wise, but the other TVs they hadn't really done much with. And I was like, well, people might be listening to music. They might be, you know, getting in the car and listening to music or have music playing as they're cooking or whatever. So I said, do we have access to music and what can we do there? And the music supervisor, Linda Cohen on this film, uh, works, with this company five alarm music. And it's this database that has like 300,000 tracks of music and they gave us access to that. And so suddenly I was diving in David Collins, who was our sound effects editor. Uh, David's famous for working on a lot of those star Wars stuff like bad batch. He's like a triple threat because he's a, a voice actor. He does loop group. He's a composer, and he's an amazing sound designer. So I hired him to help me specifically with the TVs. So he and I were diving into Five Alarm and finding tracks that were helping the mood at certain times. Um, so none of that stuff had really been picked before we started working on it. And then I broached the subject in that spotting session in New York with, you know, hey, when, when Will goes into his office and the door is still open, can we still have the TVs and Edson was like, oh, I hadn't really thought of that before. And I was like, I think that would help Definitely. you know, drive some of the character and the mood. Because like I said before, we couldn't put sounds of things outside because nothing was happening outside. So this was a way of sort of doing some of those things. So I had found this like track that sounded like a, a jazz nightclub. And I ended up putting that in when um, Emma first shows up. She shows up late. She's like the last one to be interviewed and Keo brings her into the office and you hear this like jazz track going on in the background from a TV and Edson just got tickled. Cause he's like, Oh, it almost sounds like Emma and Will are on a date. <laughs> and I, I, you know, and I didn't think it was going to like make it to the end, but it did somehow. So that was so much fun to like put all those things in there. But to go back to what you were saying of organizing, uh, Renee, we essentially had, I think 10 Atmos objects, that within each of those objects had dialogue music effects for various TVs so sometimes there were ten objects that were spaced around in the room that represented the TVs but all of those elements were playing through each mono Dolby Atmos object and those were pre-mixed from a from a previous session
2: we we made a special session just for the TV so yeah we had a dialogue pro session or effects pro session and then we had our TV session. We literally just called it TV, and each one of those objects had 24 tracks below it, and within those, it would be the English loop group or the foreign loop group, and then dialogue, effects, Foley. Every TV kind of had its own, you know, mix going on in itself. So, and then because it's each one had of it had its own, you know, Atmos assignment. We just made it mono so we could pan that one TV anywhere we needed to. So if if we go around the room. And not to try to take it out the viewer out too much we wouldn't go crazy but we could you know put one if the tvs higher or lower and then we could pan those TVs together so it kind of made it a, a problem solver and a problem because it was appearing ass to do the ME. Um <laughs> and we're gonna do that because now I mean that's why we did it all in separate tracks. So we could flip out the the foreign dialogue or whatever there, you know you just flip it out in the TV session and then lay it down. You've got your ME but it made it easy and hard at different times. I mean, it's just to wrangle it was just a a different thing. And then when we're done, will anybody know this? The technical thing that we were trying to accomplish with it, it just seemed, it was so difficult to try to make these TVs sound just like lives and not, you know, TVs. And then you're like, okay, nobody's ever going to know how hard (laughs) this was. (laughs) And then, you, you know, you just, Like, okay, great. Perfect. We accomplished it. I think, you
1: know, and it's such a delicate film. You know, we had to be very cautious with everything in this film because we didn't want to take away. We didn't want to make anything that was too showy and crazy. And Edson is all about, you know, making it, he didn't want it to sound sci-fi. He wanted it to be grounded in real life. So it was, while it's a quiet film, it was a big, big challenge.
3: Yeah. When you're totally exposed, there's just nothing to, uh, there's no nowhere to hide. It's all out there.
2: There's no movement, you know, except for when you do have TVs that there's no car buys, there's no trees, there's no anything to kind of help hide the dialogue in a little bit or something. So we're just trying to find ways to make it work, you know, and not take the viewer out of the the situation, not to go too extreme with it.
0: We've talked about the TVs quite a bit here. I just want to kind of put a bow on something. We haven't talked about the opening of the film, which all takes place within a single TV and as a viewer, the film opens and you don't know what's coming. So it takes a while before you figure it out. And then you suddenly kind of see a reflection in a window. And then it starts making sense to you. For anyone who hasn't seen it yet, it, the first couple minutes are kind of a super cut of a character's life from birth up until mid-20s, maybe? So how did you tackle that scene, which uh, is very complicated, I can
1: imagine? Well, it actually starts before that in all the, the company intros. We, we pitched the idea of like, hey, what if we created this sort of sound design suite to like carry us into that initial like color bar shot. And it was a little bit of uh, arm wrestling with the producers to, to get us to try something. But we, we ended up like taking all these bits with the idea of like, you know, maybe these are the sounds that are going through the wires between real life and before life. So they're like little elements of, of voices They're little elements from those actual company logos that we we manipulated and warped and made this whole thing that that goes into the whole color bar tone. There's so much like one K tone that sine wave that shows up in this movie that I I was like, there's no way we can just play pure one K. Like the audience will just be like holding their ears like, oh, my God, you know, (laughs) you know, make it stop and they had done that you know on the picture side just sort of pure 1k tone and so i i spent probably a day just trying to manipulate a sine wave and all kinds of different creative ways to have in my back pocket to put in different parts i mean that kind of like starts the sequence but then yeah it goes into the the whole super cut of amanda and her life which which you know brandon should talk about cuz a lot of that is also Antonio Pinto's score that drives that.
2: Yeah. I mean, his score and the in the violin that she is playing is, you know, of course, phenomenal. That opening has so much kind of like rich life to it, which kind of helps us when we get into the house and settle and find that kind of flat ground. I think it feels a little more flat because of how lo- how much life and how exciting and that, that music is so amazing. You know, I mean, it gives, every time I hear that, that opening, it kind of like just, gives me tingles, you know, uh, it's amazing. Without that, it, you, you wouldn't even know it was a flat kind of house or feeling kind of dead or, or dull. You just expect the whole movie to be rich and exciting, you know, at that point.
0: And the score also goes from uh, score to source. Yeah, we just,
2: you know, started just focusing it and basically slowly finding a way to basically futz it off the TV in a sense. Of course, it's hard to futz a violin. <laughs> Um, and we didn't go too far because it's funny when I started butting it more and more, you started kind of losing the the energy and life of that playing. It just it just didn't set. So we we cheated with that one a little bit more and kept it a little more full range, even though it's monoed up at that point. You know, it, anytime we kind of kept EQing it further, like oh, you're just you're just losing that that energy of the violin.
3: Did you guys try anything that you eventually discarded, like in the in the process of putting it all together?
1: I tried a whole bunch of crazy stuff on the TVs. <laughs> and uh, especially that right after that opening, will takes the the VHS tape, he goes to like his file cabinet room and he puts it away. and when he comes back, he walks across the bank of TVs and you see all the TVs going. And that was that was a really hard uh, shot for me because I wanted to sell sort of the cacophony of the TVs. But I kind of quickly learned that if I was putting any sound on the TVs that wasn't identifiable, that just sounded like something weird, it was going to take people out of it. I kind of made the rule for myself, like, it's got to be very recognizable sounds like, you know, car starting, doors closing, you know, water pouring, hand tools, toys, just along with the loop group and the music and all that stuff. That's kind of what it ended up eventually just sort of sticking to the wall as far as the the TV stuff.
2: And the placement of them. I mean, because you play them all at once and it does sound cacophonous. It kind of helps that, but you really can't pick out that toy or that car starting. So it'd have to be like a car start and then a toy and then a voice and then a, you know what I mean? And kind of like this, this. Uh, I mean, it's it's building a music concrete kind of thing, you know, so you can get all those elements and then they kind of have to fade into each other to get to the next one
1: definitely had to have a rhythm and it was very easy to to break that rhythm <laughs> so there were certain moments where I was you know Brandon started moving a couple things around I'm like wait stop hold on like you know that one's for that TV and that one's for that and and we were able to like sort of carefully change things but but it it quickly was like pulling a thread on a sweater with those TVs
2: they're all kind of connected to memories you know and the, and the, also the TVs are that and the the VCRs and those mecha- mechanisms and all those things like we all had have- a VCR, at least of a certain age, and uh, and they all sound a little different. You know what I mean? And that's that's the other part of this. I think that's where the futzes didn't work either, because we're all used to different types of futzes and you know, we all had a different radio or TV or something, which is always tricking any movie. Everybody's like, "That's not the way my TV sounded." So all those things had to be so specific, and and Edson was so like, "Now I don't like that VCR sound because." It's probably not connected to a memory of his, you know, it's, it's not something that it might be connected to my memory (laughs) of a different VCA. Like, oh, that's really an RCA, you know, but I think the same thing kind of goes for what's happening on those lives, the toys, the car starting or whatever. If my dad had a Toyota Corolla, you know, I just remember that car starting as a kid, you know, what do we put on those that kind of, everybody can kind of go on the journey and actually understand. Also, it's so easy just to have one sound take you out of the whole moment. You know, you could have one thing like, oh, what's that? And then you lose the story, you know, so trying to keep it exciting, but not boring. It made it even more delicate in a way.
3: One of the sweetest moments in the whole film is the beach scene. And it's very quiet. And you, you start out with that shot of his feet kind of stepping on the sand. And, you know, I'm sitting there in my living room. Kids are asleep upstairs. My wife has decided to come home from work. And she's watching, she's in this kick of watching The Nanny right now.
0: <laughs> the Fran Drescher Nanny sitcom?
3: And so I'm sitting here watching The Feet, and I just hear Fran Drescher just honking off the iPad <laughs> <laughs> in the kitchen, and I'm like, babe, I love you, but you gotta go upstairs so I can watch this scene.
1: <laughs> that moment is, is so delicate and beautiful, and, and I give... Full credit to uh, John Resch, who is the Foley artist, and Jason Butler, who was the Foley mixer on this, as well as Jonathan Stevens, who uh, was the Foley editor. Edson said he wanted to hear every grain of sand under under Mike's feet there. Brandon did an amazing job just you know, pulling everything out and really showcasing that moment. I remember having John Resch come over from the Archive Foley stage when his day was wrapped, when we were in that reel, and played that moment and he even got like a little teary eyed watching it with, you know, and meeting Edson for the first time and, and, and John expressed to Edson, you know, John Resch has worked on a, a million films from, you know, ET back to the future, Chris, Chris Rinald, and he really let Edson know, like, you've got something incredibly special here. I've worked on a ton of movies and there are a lot of them are amazing, but this one is really, truly amazing. And it was really neat to to see him express that to Edson.
2: He was like, you know, every 10 years, there's a film that comes along that, that really moves me or does something. And, and this is it. This is the movie, you know, that, that did that for me. And he was just so emotional when he was talking to Edson about it. And, uh, and you could tell that. His love, he just put that into his
1: Foley too. It was, it was, it's pretty special.
3: Yeah, was it him that did a lot of the stuff on the on the bicycle scene of the canvases coming in and out?
1: They did some of that, but a lot of that is actually production. Really, that you're hearing of of the dollies. I think we added definitely some of the the fluttering of the cloth and things like that. But but most of the motion of of the. The dollies, the metal and the wheels is from production. Man, that was cool.
2: Yeah, all those moments where you you get this like, oh, we're in a warehouse or a physicality kind of thing. And then all of a sudden like, wait, no, we're there. And then you kind of pull out real fast. You're like, nope, it's all DIY. It's super beautiful, you know, camera work too. So cool.
1: And also in that space, it's like, you know, there's it's, it's just sort of dark. You don't see the full room. So that also gave us the opportunity to like, oh, maybe there's other stuff back there. Maybe the house just like keeps going and keeps going and so ambience wise thinking about you know having some movement and just some very 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 subtle sort of churning almost like a factory like is is will part of this this factory this before life factory that's that's off screen that you can't really see that's that's doing something just you know something to evoke more questions to to the viewer
2: we thought of stuff like so when we're in the warehouse like on the like sand and stuff you know what he. what screams out at the end that kind of breaks that that place we're in normally you would do a different kind of reverb but we did like a a reverb on his voice that's in a warehouse to kind of help sell that idea you know it's like all the things we can kind of do like oh this is like wrong but right at the you know same time it's just kind of fun to to mess with things and little subtle things I mean I don't think anybody's going to realize you know that it's that kind of a reverb but it's just things that you can do to kind of help sell those environments in, in subtle ways
3: yeah, and what a beautiful end scene too. Yeah, like I was like straight up in tears. I was crying. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I know. Yeah, that, it gets me every time at that, that sort of the end of the montage. Antonio's score is building and building and building and building, and like right when he like starts running out of the house and that phrase starts of of his score, just like every time. And I've and I've seen that, you know. 85, 95 times. i you know, it's hard for me to to not tear up.
2: And Antonio came. I mean, he is he's like his score. His personality is so beautiful and rich and, and exciting. He's all passion, you know, like as he walks, just is in a room with people. Um, he's amazing. But he would like just sit with me right now, and say, oh, can we do this? Can we do that? You know, he was just so into it and so his excitement would not stop.
1: It was very funny because he was there through the pretty much the entire final mix and he he sort of started in the back of the room and he he you know Brandon <laughs> would would hit stop and he'd be like oh hey Brandon you know what if what if we do such and such and he's like okay and then like 2 days later Antonio's sitting a little closer, like he's like one row up and then he's, you know, directing. And by the end of the mix, he's like right next to Brandon on the console, you know, elbows on the console. you
2: am going to sit on my lap? We could do that, you know. <laughs> but literally like like so close that he's like hands on me and like, you know, put his arm around me during the mix and just like, yeah, we're doing this, you know.
1: We were finishing this movie like at the 11th hour for, for Sundance in 2020, so... You know, we had been pre-mixing over the Christmas break and then, you know, pretty much, you know, hit the ground running at the beginning of January with the final and did not have a lot of time. We did sort of put in Edson and Jason's ear. The movie sounds great, but if we had more time, we'd do a lot of little things. and, And luckily, after Sundance, COVID happened, it got picked up by Sony Pictures Classics and then... We did get the opportunity to to go back in uh, June of last year. Was it about a week? I think so. Because then we had to make all the we had to make all the deliverables too. We had to make the m and home theater mix and all like that.
2: Like two or three days to do stuff, and then the rest of it was mastering.
1: But it made all the difference for us to like, you know, we almost never get that opportunity to to come revisit a film months later when suddenly you have different perspective and you can come at it from a, a sort of a uh, more clean, like it's it's been on the shelf and it's and the things that you were super worried about you hear and you're like, Oh, those are fine and then you catch other things you're like, Whoa, I had never heard that before and so it was it was a real joy and luxury for us to go back in and, and tweak some more. Well this one's a work of art. Yeah. Congratulations. I wanna make sure we give a shout out to uh, Dmitri Makarov too. He he was the dialogue ADR editor on this and it's a very dialogue heavy movie and, and Dimitri did a, a beautiful job. In a short amount of time putting it all together so that was really a joy to, to work with him that's amazing
0: well thanks for joining us today it was really great to talk to you and uh, we hope to have you on again sometime soon thanks guys thanks sam thanks renee great thank you so much tonebenders is produced by timothy Muirhead renee coronado and Teresa Moro. theme music is by mark straight send your emails to info at tonebenderspodcast.com Follow us on Twitter via at the Tonebenders and join Tonebenders podcast on Facebook. Support this podcast. You can use our links when you shop with Amazon or b or leave us a tip. Just go to tonebenderspodcast.com and click the support button. Thanks for listening. If you are interested in more pro audio related content, stay tuned to hear what other members of the Audio Podcast Alliance are releasing. To learn more and find links to other shows similar to Tone Benders, go to audiopodcast.org. Hi, everyone. This is Michael Helms, host of the Location Sound Podcast. Each episode, we talk with production sound mixers, boom ops, and other film industry pros about the various aspects of recording sound on location for TV shows, features, and independent films. Our past guests have worked on projects like HBO's *Beep* the Netflix series House of Cards, Discoveries Naked and Afraid, and so much more. We do talk a little tech, but then we get into the stories of working behind the scenes on set. This is the Location Sound Podcast. Hi all, this is Becky and Susan from the Sound Girls Podcast, where we speak to audio professionals from all walks of life. Join us Tuesdays at 9 a.m. and listen to the amazing Ray of sound humans talk about how they got into the biz. And a few cool things, like roadie nicknames and fizzy water preferences. You can find the Sound Girls podcast wherever you listen to podcasts, as well as our website, soundgirls.org.